Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Masks, masks, masks. I've shared with you before, I just don't understand why that's the hill people want to die on. I mean, really, of all the things that are going on in the world, that's the one? Well, information matters. More so, accuracy matters. You have to understand that sort of the truth is kind of our perspective. Facts do change over time. But accuracy is really all we've got to hang on to. And so what if we could lean into being as accurate as possible? And that's the conversation that I wanted to get started about masks and health in general. And I have a sneaking suspicion we're probably going to wander away from masks just a little bit too. Uh, James Heilman is an ER physician uh, and also a Wikipedian, I just found out. We'll get that. What the heck is that later? And he joins us now. Hey, James. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. So um, you've sort of lent your career and life into making sure people are okay. Um, caring for people seems to be kind of the core of, of all the things you do. And being an ER physician is literally in the trenches of that. It sure is. Yes. So when we see the perspective of what you get at work every day, car crashes, heart attacks, tragedy, And then we see people fighting over masks in the street. Does it seem as out of balance to you as it does to me? It it is definitely disappointing. You know, masks are a little more than a minor inconvenience. Uh, But the evidence is really solid with respect to the benefits um, uh, for us as a society, for, for, you know, our ability to keep our economy open. So it is a strange hill for people to die upon. It seems to me that there are cultures in the world where masks are a normal part of daily life, has been for a long time. Now, the circumstances and some of the environmental issues in some of those places are obvious. But that being said, I kind of get the feeling that people might actually adopt these further than dealing with sort of COVID and being able to, you know, keep some of the stuff around. Because I got to tell you, um, being around teenage hockey players, because my son plays hockey, never before has a mask been more convenient than when you're sitting around a bunch of guys that are no longer allowed to shower in the rink and you've got a 30-minute drive home. <laughs> um, you know, so so you look to Asia, uh, the the wearing of masks has been prevalent for, for, for quite some time. Um, they have definitely upped their game recently where, you know, the the percentage of the population wearing masks have gone from, you know, like 30% to like, you know, the high 90s percent. And, and that has really correlated with, you know, a much less severe outbreak than we have seen in much of the rest of the world where that definitely, you know, isn't their culture. So. I have always struggled with, mandatory masks, not because they shouldn't be or not because they don't work, but because from a political standpoint and a citizen standpoint, I don't know if we should make masks mandatory when we can't enforce it. Now, that being said, as a business owner, no shirt, no shoes, no service, no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service. 
if you're going to walk into someone else's property, it's one of those things to me that seems like somebody else um, really is going to decide what is um, going on. It's their property. You take your shoes off when you go to your friend's house. So I just think that we should lead by example with masks and tell everybody that, you know, these are the benefits and make the choice for yourself. But that doesn't always work. So I guess I get it. We we have tons of laws that are difficult to enforce. You know, we have laws against the use of cell phones while driving. We have laws, you know, that require the use of seatbelts. You know, it's impossible to enforce either of those laws 100%. And yet, you know, that is not a justification for us not to have laws against distracted driving or not to have, you know, laws that require the use of a seatbelt. Uh, and, you know, one of the big benefits of, of you know, having these regulations in, in place is it allows businesses, um, you know, it allows um, um, hospitals even to, to, you know, put in place rules and regulations within these, within their own jurisdiction to, to you know, require masks um, um, and to, you know, then provide masks and, you know, make sure that people are, are wearing masks. Well, I certainly would um, agree that if you're going to make masks mandatory, that there has to be access to masks. That would be, certainly be a thing. So what are the benefits, doctor? Here we are. We've got, um, you know, masks for BC as a topic. I'm in Calgary where masks are mandatory everywhere you go. Um, you know, masks for Canada. Is that the next step? Like, how do we get there without um, taking away people's ability to be smart humans and, and make proper health decisions for themselves because we're better off if we learn the reasons behind it and just learn to make the decisions down the road. Yeah. You know, uh, in my environment, um, uh, you know, we have only just very recently started requiring masks within the emergency department. Um, We still get a lot of people showing up without a mask to an emergency department in the middle of a pandemic um, sort of just, you know, blows one's mind a little bit. Uh, And, you know, we are gracious. We offer the masks. Um, You know, I've had less than, you know, a handful of people um, decline or refuse to wear one. Um, So, you know, I think. Yes, you know, access is definitely going to be key. Uh, you know, we need to make sure this is not judgmental. Um, um, and we need to make sure that, you know, those who have less economic means um, are provided with with a mask when when needed. Yeah. So as a doctor, though, how do you see it? I mean, you see this stuff every day. I mean, you're, you're standing there every day. Um, you know, what do you have to say to people when I mean, we truly just don't understand, and we sometimes just have to trust what the experts do say, I think. You, you know, exactly. Um, we're not going to convince everybody, but, you know, to have a significant benefit, you don't need to convince everybody. We know that, you know, putting in place a mask mandate, having, you know, um, a, all the various levels of government champion these sorts of efforts, having everybody leading by example, you know, human beings are social animals. We will, you know, I think this is an opportunity for us to um, uh, band together as a society and look out for each other. And, you know, masks is just one way we can, you know, show to our fellow um, citizens that, you know, we're here to protect them. We're here to protect each other. 
That's great. I want this to be shorter. Do you? I don't know about you, but I do. I'm done. I'm like, I would, I just look forward to this. Let's do the hard work now and, and let's move along. You know, we're, we're probably with this for a few months yet. Um, uh, you know, of course, the ultimate goal is to, you know, slow down the transmission of this disease until we can get a vaccine um, uh, rolled out to the population. And, and, you know, hopefully we'll develop, you know, and, and have a effective vaccine coming out, I hope, you know, by the first half of next year. Um, uh, and then that will allow us to, you know, begin slowly putting this pandemic behind us. But, you know, until we have that vaccine, we still have a, a fair bit of slogging to go. And, you know, we really need to take every measure possible to slow the transmission of this disease as much as possible. Professionalism in your world is such a big thing. There must be a certain part of doctors um, that when someone walks in, uh, to the ER or the doctor's office or whatever. And then they, you know, they're like, Oh, that's fake news or whatever. And there must be a point where it's so hard just as a human being who happens to be a doctor to say, you know, I'm a doctor, right? Like, you know, that this is all I went to school for was this kind of stuff. And you so far have a profile on Facebook. That's what the balance of the conversation here. It must be hard. Um you know, the 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 anti-mask sentiment isn't the first illogical healthcare related issue to come, you That's know, sweeping through society. You know, we we've had this anti-mask sentiment that's been growing for, you know, the last decade or more. Um and yeah, you know, it's it, it's it's a tough issue to address, you know, and of course when you're when you're dealing with patients, you just deal with them you know, one at a time and you try your best to educate them. And, you know, if um, people are still free to make their own choices and, and, you know, you just try your best to explain the the risks and benefits of the choices that they're making. It's very clear. Thank you. Um, can we talk briefly about your writing? My writing on Wikipedia? Yeah, yeah sure. Well, because so many times people will say, oh, that's Wikipedia. So I, what I found out as we were uh, getting ready for this, this call is that, um, you know, that's one of the things that you dedicate yourselves to is making sure that people get accurate information on health information on Wikipedia. So for anybody who's ever gone and said, Oh, that's Wikipedia. Well, here's an example right now. Now you've met a guy, uh, Dr. James Heilman, who is one of the doctors that writes and volunteers his time for Wikipedia. That, that is correct. Yes. You know, Wikipedia is one of the, the places where much of the world turns to get their information. Um, uh, even though, you know, many of them might not be willing to admit it, uh, you know, we have page view data for our healthcare information, for example, and, you know, our healthcare information, um, uh, this last year received, um, somewhere around four to 5 billion page views. That's amazing. Although concerning people are going to Wikipedia to get (laughs) doctor advice. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, if um, uh, you you know you look at you look at Google, right? Google um, for their for their info boxes, they pull a great deal of their data from Wikipedia. Yeah, um, you know, Google has been using a lot of Wikipedia's COVID-related um, epidemiological information. Uh, you know, so so for um, for Google's graphs that they show when you search for COVID information, a lot of the data behind those graphs are sourced from Wikipedia. Okay, well, it would be fair to say, because uh, other people have other professions that they're experts in. Um, 
what do you say to them for that life of giving back and, and how do they get involved with those kinds of things so they can be a, a proper expert in that world too? Do you invite them to do that? Um, yeah, you know, uh, Wikipedia is sort of a bureaucracy. Um, uh, anybody can sort of just show up and, and jump in and get involved. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, you know, there's a bit of a learning curve when, when one first starts working on Wikipedia. I've been at it for more than 13 years now. Um, and, you know, there's, there's an existing community there who will help, you know, guide you. Uh, one of the core foundations of Wikipedia, it, it all comes down to sourcing. So, you know, even as an expert writing for Wikipedia, you're not there to write, you know, just put down what you know. You need to come with sources. And if you don't come with sources, you will uh, you'll struggle as your material will frequently be rapidly removed. So how is that? Because, I mean, some of the sources we have are, um, you know, not even digitized in some cases. Um, so how do you do? Would you have to get the physical book, get the permission to get it digitized? get it up there, get a place for it, find it at home, that kind of stuff? Um, so, you know, with respect to the topic I mainly work on, which is medicine, everything now is digital. Okay. Uh, it, it, you know, it was fascinating. A couple of years ago, I was giving a talk uh, to a group of, stu- uh, of, of fourth-year medical students at UCSF, and I asked them, you know, how many of you have bought a textbook? And only one student raised her hand. Really? And then she quickly reassured the rest of us that she hadn't opened it yet. <laughs> um, you know, people, you know, the, 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 the students of today aren't using paper textbooks anymore. Wow. Everybody is doing everything on online and, and in a digital format. It's, um, it's a whole new world. Out there. Isn't it crazy to think, how'd you become a doctor? Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, like when I went to medical school, 15 20 years ago um um yeah i remember spending you know hours upon hours in the library searching through you know the stacks pulling down you know dusty tomes and you know reading journal articles uh that yeah and but now with with the internet everybody has a world-class library at their fingertips kind of no excuse to stay inside the social media bubble of proximity when it comes to data and instead sort of reach out and just start to find your stuff. The wealth of information that we all have access to is incredible. So good. Dr. James Heilman, uh, emergency room uh, physician, which, I mean, that's probably 10 segments there that we could talk about stories from the emergency room. My goodness. Um, Thanks for what you do. And thanks for your commitment to making sure the information is out there and accurate as it can be. Not only with discussing math. This is the shift daily uh, podcast in general. And let's also wish happy um, Friday to Andrew Ferreira. When they need some help. Oh, and that's got its own song right here. Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird. He loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird Science. Welcome back to the program. Andrew Ferreira, happy Friday to you, my brother. Is it Friday? I don't know what day it is anymore. Well, you do live at nighttime, so that is understandable. Like, is, um, like for all I know, Friday is, well, I mean, Friday is a concept that we made up, but... Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, that's it is even more so a concept for me. Last time I checked, it was bright outside and like it was February. Yeah, it's close. We're almost. Yeah, we're, back I, there. we're we're almost there. We've almost gone. You're like you're like shag carpet in the seventies, buddy. You're back in style again. We've already made oh, the full ooh. turn. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, nothing against I've, shag carpet, but 
Yeah, yeah I mean, it's quite beautiful. Okay, for everyone who's looking for the uh, Rocktober riff that is coming up for you in just one second, we brought Andrew Ferreira on because what happened is, this is the way that I understand it, and Andrew uh, will elaborate with bigger words and accuracy. So what happened is, is there was a big rock that they thought was old, they being NASA, and so NASA uh, sent up a Roomba, dropped it on the asteroid, it bumped into a few walls, vacuumed up some stuff, then they, they're sending it home again. And I thought that was particularly cool. First of all, Roomba, hello, amazing technology, and yes, Andrew, go. Uh, man, I was going to try and do it in smaller words. Let's, let's see if I can try and do this in smaller words first here. Uh, space robot rock, NASA send robot to rock, uh, robot wants rock to send rock to earth, right? We're following me here. Mm -hmm. Uh, robot wants to send rock to earth. So robot moves close to rock to vacuum, uh, some rocks into the rock holder. Uh, the rock holder will then leave the robot uh, and the rock holder will return to Earth, which is itself a big rock. Uh, and then scientists uh, in probably very nice white lab coats, uh, maybe with like really thick glasses or something, will take the rocks and look at them under microscopes and go, wow, that's some pretty cool rock. While having rock on the speakers. They, I hope they are listening to classic rock or something of the sort while they Rocking are analyzing to the, the space rock. riff. Yeah. There okay, you go. Well that, Deb, thanks for coming on the show, Andrew. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. Uh, call me back anytime. <laughs> so help uh, us understand what happened, because th this is a really cool idea that turned into a one-year um, stalking expedition. <laughs> Thank you for using the term stalking expedition, because that's essentially what happened. So what we're trying to you know communicate to you uh, is that uh, you've probably seen a GIF of it somewhere if you've been unfortunate enough to be on Twitter, uh, like me. I'm sorry. Uh, basically, NASA's Origin Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer spacecraft, or otherwise known as the, the cool name, which is OSIRIS-REx. That's a cool shorter, name. Shorter, definitely shorter. <laughs> and much shorter, too, and cooler. Uh, basically, on Tuesday... Uh, it's been orbiting this rock called Bennu, and I'll get to whether or not Bennu is actually a rock in a sec here. But all you need to remember is that it's been orbiting this this space thing. Uh, scientists initially thought it was, you know, probably sandy, uh, like Mars. It's kind of covered in sand. Uh, Earth has a lot of sand on it. Uh, we had reason to believe that most rocky surfaces would be kind of covered in sand. Uh, when OSIRIS-REx uh, got to Bennu um, a year ago, NASA scientists uh, hit the uh-oh button when they realized that OSIRIS-REx was looking at a surface made of gigantic boulders. Uh, not exactly what you want to see when your mission is about uh, literally maneuvering a robot to the surface of an asteroid and vacuuming up some material. Uh, because now what you want to vacuum up are giant boulders, and they do not fit inside of a... I, I don't know how big the actual uh, collecting, you know, vacuum hose is, but it's not very big, and it <laughs> certainly hose. can't hold boulders. Um, <laughs> I know. It, if you look at the picture of the spacecraft, you can Google it, just OSIRIS-REx. Um, it looks like a normal, generic, satellite-looking thing with, like, a dome and, like, a box and some solar panels, but then it's got this... I'm going to use the word proboscis. Wow. 
uh, and it just kind of dangles down off the bottom of the spacecraft. It's okay. The imagery is all you need. It's just a, it's a little hose thingy that dangles down. You know, it's an anteater. If you want, that's not too bad. Yeah, an anteater will do. So basically, uh, the anteater robot uh, essentially was told by NASA to (laughs) orbit. Roomba Roomba works. It's not really a Roomba because it's not. It's 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 attached to something. The Roomba is cordless. Oh right. Unless you tape wires to it, which would be kind of strange, but. I'm not going to tell you how to vacuum uh, where you live. Um, But this spacecraft, essentially, they were initially going to, last year, touch down and grab a sample. Um, But because the thing was full of rocks, they went, oh, that's not good if we crash into that. So they've been orbiting it for the past year, this uh, asteroid Bennu. Uh, Now, Bennu is interesting because, like most space rocks, in case you didn't know this, they're very old. Um even older than uh, sliced bread. Donald um, Trump and Joe Biden. Old, uh, yeah. Sorry, I yeah, got political there. That was that wasn't all right. Okay, sorry. Little bit older, little bit older, uh, and a slightly older than you know uh, the Industrial Revolution. This rock is probably somewhere on the order of hundreds of millions of years old, mm-hmm. uh, and that basically means that it is somewhat of a time capsule to a time when. Things like politics didn't exist. Uh, things like us didn't really exist. Uh, you know, at the time that this asteroid became what it was, the Earth was probably, I don't know, either on fire, covered in ice, covered in microbes, covered in giant mosquitoes or something, sometime yeah. in the past. And Yoda uh, was a baby. And Yoda was a baby. And by scooping up and analyzing pieces of this asteroid, we get a almost literal window into what the early solar system was like. Because these rocks have been in space, and in space, nobody can hear you scream, and rocks don't really get affected by much. (laughs) They just kind of, you know, sit there and do what rocks do, I suppose, which is exist. It's not a bad life, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, (laughs) But basically, this... And, you know, NASA being NASA and the smart people they are called it a sample collection event. I like to call it the vacuum. Uh, on Tuesday, kind of piloted Bennu and uh, OSIRIS-REx into place, sent it a bunch of commands because it takes about 16 minutes for commands to reach the, uh, the, the satellite. This thing has to do it all by itself. So they sent it commands, and then scientists do what they do best on space missions, and that's wait with bated breath. Because at that point, it was on its own. Uh, from everything that we can say so far, the uh, the first touch-and-go uh, event was a complete success. So what essentially happened is it kind of maneuvered itself in position, slowly lowered itself to the surface. Once the anteater nose, I guess, hit the surface, uh, what essentially happens is the inside of... The nose, this is starting to become less and less of a useful um, analogy here. The inside of the nose essentially shot out nitrogen gas. See, it's starting to make less and less sense as we go so on here. So it sneezed. Okay, got it. It sneezed, I suppose. And in so doing, it kind of propelled, uh, you know, pieces of rock, uh, dust, uh, you know, all the kind of stuff you'd expect to find on a giant space rock out in the middle of space, uh, inside of the vacuum hose, if you will, and into little compartments. Um, after about six seconds of sneezing, which sounds like an eternity if you're sneezing, 
um, Osiris Rex then lifted back off and away from the impressive debris cloud that it created. Uh, and if you've seen some of the gifs of this, and I'm going to call it a gif, if you come at me and say it's a gif, I will fight you behind the Denny's. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't hesitate. It's a gif. Uh, but if you've seen the gif of this, it's insane. Um, it almost looks like something that you could have faked in a studio. No, it didn't, wasn't faked in a studio. This actually happened. Um, and I think it's really cool because this is possibly, and this is only if things didn't go well. And by all accounts, things have seemed to go well. Uh, Osiris Rex can do this two more times. It actually has two more canisters of nitrogen on board that it can use if the event, in the event that it didn't actually collect enough, uh, space rock. Um, but it seems like it's collected some space rock, and for that, we can all be very happy with it. Uh, what's going to happen now is scientists are going to wait to analyze and see how much, you know, material uh, Osiris-Rex is able to scoop up from the surface. And uh, if it amounts to more than, you know, essentially, I'm trying to think of a, a, good, a good bog standard that we could all get behind, a shot glass uh, worth of rock and dust, if it can do at least that, it's probably good enough. Uh, the goal is to get about a candy-sized bar amount of, of material. Um, and once we have, you know, a candy-sized bar, a uh, full-size candy bar size of material or more, uh, Osiris-Rex will depart Bennu, uh, kind of point itself at Earth, kind of move towards it, and then unceremoniously fling uh, the canisters uh, of material back at Earth. And here's hoping in 2023... Uh, the canisters land in some place, like, I think one of the targeted locations they have in mind is the Australian Outback. Uh, scientists will go and retrieve it and look inside and pick up all the cool space dust and rocks with, you know, very, very sanitized hands. Um, even more sanitized than, you know, the horrible dry cracking hands you probably have right now because you've been washing your hands a lot with coronavirus. Am I right, guys? <laughs> am I right? Um, am I right? Am oh, I right? Man. You better be. Um, but basically that's, what's going to happen. It's this satellite is going to throw back this canister full of ancient dust at earth. So scientists can look at it under a microscope and go, yeah, it's pretty neat. That's dust. Pretty much. That's cool. That's neat. It's crazy cool. It's that cool that we very... can even like think about doing this. Like if uh, you had told me as a kid that we'd be sending a robot to vacuum up an asteroid, uh, and bring it back to Earth, I would have been like, "Yeah, okay, call me back in 2096." Uh, yeah. But it is 2020, the year of horrible, horrible things. Uh, but this is one thing that is hopefully not as horrible. I all right, cool. Hope. Well, I I can't wait for Ben Affleck to come back and uh, bring us our space dust. Um, I'm one day. For like one day. Forward to that. One day. One day, time, Ben Affleck will will be rescued. We the don't next know time, when NASA has no timeline. <laughs> that the doctor sends me to the lab for any uh, tests to be done. I'm going to call it a sample collection event. Excuse me. My name is Shay, and I'm here for my sample collection event. And, and for some when... reason, I'm at Donald Trump's office. <laughs> and you sound kind of like him. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. Andrew. I, I, I don't actually know it. I, science can't explain this. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. That made uh, me laugh really hard. the space hard. rocks? Don't do oh that. That don't stuff has been out in space rocks. for like hundreds oh of goodness. millions of years. It's oh, uh, probably not very good for you. <laughs> now Andrew's a doctor. Thank you, Dr. Ferreira. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. I wanted to bring a friend to you. Um, a guy who um, stepped in through the course of the summer and um, 
and frankly crushed it. And not only that, um, you know, I think he endeared uh, me and Matt and you and, and, um, and then all of a sudden he disappeared. He went away. He's a little bit like Clark Kent like that. He Aww. hid in his phone booth and put on his, um, put on his, uh, Superman cape and flew away. He was gone forever. Chris Gilbert, how are you, brother? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I don't know if I'm in a phone booth. I'm in a very blue room. It's more like an aquarium. But uh, yeah, no, I'm back for welcome 20 back, minutes. Buddy. Yeah, welcome back, Chris. Good to see you and hear you, man. Yeah, it's nice to be here on the radio. It, it's nice to um, be back in this this part of the night again and have absolutely no responsibility for anything that happens. It's a nice feeling. Well, yeah, it's, there's nothing that falls on your lap right now, so please don't get us fired, I guess, would be the uh, the ask of the night tonight, if that's fair. Uh, yeah, my secret agenda. Yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're in safe hands, as always. It's just nice to be back and chatting with you boys again. Um, 877-399-9898, your calls, your text. Now, I've been uh, trying to be clear. One of the things we don't often get to do in Radioland is sort of say, where did people go? Um, and uh, in your case, um, you were on a work contract. That's what you're doing. That contract ended. And uh, that happens in this world, and it happens in many other industries as well. Um, so there was no nefarious reasons why you uh, ended your time here on the show. Now, that being said, Chris, um, you and I have had many personal conversations. Uh, there's lots going on in your life that we didn't really get much chance to dig into in on the show. But I thought it'd be cool if we kind of closed the loop for everybody just to understand what's going on in your life, because you have some pretty exciting things to share, too. So where do you want to go with that? Oh, you know, I could go anywhere, could go anywhere in the world, Shane. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't that um, the case, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, I had, we had a, like, had a blast while I was uh, on the show over the summer and, you know, had lots of animal stories, like a lot, a lot of animal stories it was weird. Um, involving cats and emus and yeah, I, I dug up some animals every night. That was pretty fun. And, uh, you know, I think we had some good chats. And I also um, played a story uh, over the last week that I was with you guys about stinky fish and in Japan. And I was like, you know what? The world needs more stories about smelly fish. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, my, um, that's my mission now is, is to go back to that part of the world and, and, and find some more smelly smelly creatures to to make radio stories about and bring them to all the fine people of canada so that is that is next for me it seems <laughs> so you you're going to um you're hitting the road right you're you're moving back uh to yeah. japan and you've got uh inside your family plus uh yourself some aspirations that you want to accomplish i mean i don't know what you are, are okay to share um, in the privacy of yeah. our earlier conversation so i'll leave that part up to you so uh where are you going when are you going and what's the plan so, yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're, well, to answer your first question, going back to Japan, uh, I'm going to go live in Tokyo with my partner, um, and she's just going to, like, work as a uh, an office worker there, and um, I'm going to bum about the hotel room in a gown, um, you know, just sipping bubbles and, you know, blowing bubbles out of one of those little pipes, you know, like a, like a stay-at-home, kind of like an elegant stay-at-home gentleman for a while, and then uh, eventually get my act together and start making freelance radio stories is my aspiration. So, uh, yeah, but at the moment, uh, currently in a bit of a uh, one of those tangled webs um, of trying to travel long haul and move countries in the middle of a pandemic, um, oh, which is easy. Yeah, Google it. Could well, could, yeah. <laughs> so I have been every day. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, I wish I'd been recording because this whole thing, because it could be a documentary all in itself. And the next step for us is to like go get a COVID-19 test. And then the Japanese government requires that to be 72 hours before your flight. And so we have to like, you know, compete with everybody else in British Columbia for spaces at the few COVID-19 travel clinics that offer you that. And then you have to get a special form signed and et cetera, et cetera. And it's all a bit of a headache, but I I ain't complaining. Everyone else is stuck at home, and I'm on a plane to Tokyo eventually. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is it's very cool. Um, all right, so a couple of text messages coming in um, from Trucker Dad. Uh, Sir Christopher Gilbert. Trucker Dad. Um, is it legal or even ethically acceptable to have uh, a knighted Kiwi, LOL? You know, uh, we should probably fess up that uh, when you stepped away from the what? show... Um, you're concerned about the knighted kiwi? Is that what got you there? Oh, I see. Yeah. I thought it did a night at kiwi and I'm like, what oh. kind of nightclubs are you going to, Trucker Dan? Oh, oh my goodness. No, knighted <laughs> kiwi. When you stepped away, Sir Christopher Gilbert, um, Matt and I did officially become lords. So, uh, oh, I to, what? I hate, I hate to break that one to you. So you stepped away a little too soon. Had so we are officially landowners oh, in Scotland and lords now. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, Dwayne and Calgary, welcome back, Chris. Remember the smelly Thanks. fish store fondly, especially how you and your friend got drunk on the last episode. Um, yeah, it wasn't getting yeah. drunk, by the way. That was research and development, air quotes. Well, yeah, there was know. definitely research. Yeah, we're, we're, we're living as the locals do by, um, you know, getting drunk. So, but right. not on the radio. That this, this strong disclaimer there. It was pre-recorded, pre-recorded. So, uh, yeah, hey, Chris. Hey, Chris, man, it's great to hear you. Have you been? Do you still have uh, a thing again, cats? Just reading. Um, Come on, well, brother. I can answer the first cats are great animals. Yes, I have been. I have been. So thank you for that. Um, it has been happening, and I have been doing. So that has happened. Uh, to answer the second <laughs> question, I don't have a thing ag again, cats. I don't have a thing again. I had a thing against one cat. I want to clear the air on this right now. There was one cat. His floofiness. Maddie, back me up here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> you had it right in for this cat. He was just like public enemy number one. <laughs> well, Potato Chip Gilbert. I mean, what can happen? To, does he need a home now? Like, what's the story of that? How does it? How do you take oh. a, imaginary pet Potato Chip Gilbert to Japan? Well, I mean, he's coming with me in my in my thoughts and in my and in my heart. And then when he, we get to Japan, he's going to actualize. He's going to become a real potato chip, um, and he's gonna he's gonna be um, his floofiness of my apartment. He's gonna walk. He's gonna saunter around with me. I'll get him a little a cat gown of his own. You know. Oh, nice. He, we can be gent gentlemen of the apartment together. So silk, potato chip silk robe is gonna be the first thing we do. Okay, um, that's important. I think this is important information for Potato Chip Gilbert. Um, and do you, the, the theme song was the best part. Do, Matt, do you remember the theme song? <clears throat> uh, potato Chip Gilbert. Potato Chip Gilbert. Yeah, I mean, the, the timbre was a little off, but, you know, not bad. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't rehearse that one. All right. Clearly. Four out of ten. So, yeah. thanks. Um, what what we would normally be doing at this segment here um, would be the are you okay? We've got a couple of those lined up. Chris, will you join us for those? Of course. My pleasure. Okay, cool. But uh, before we do that, we got to do sort of a custom intro. I would say, hey, Matt, for this special edition of are you okay? That would only make sense. 
Yeah, this one, uh, I don't even remember how this one got made or what. I think it was... I think it was because of Eric, but because of Eric, this is what happened. Hey, guess what? You know what it's time for. It's Chris's contribution. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Chris's, uh, Chris's contribution to Are You Okay? <laughs> Everybody gets a theme song no matter how small. I don't get a theme song, man. Well, the the show is your theme song and you get you get some musical <laughs> privileges come on man i got come on man. i got two theme songs don't at I got me two theme songs oh yeah you did didn't you um, okay so here much. we go are you okay let's get started with uh special guests sir christopher gilbert jason manalis is here matt MacArthur. i'm shane hewitt are you okay are you okay with double cupping um, well, speak, speaking as um, you know, a radio professional, uh, you should not double cup the microphone uh, if you plan to talk into it. Unless you're uh, unless you're introducing a band on stage, and you feel way better that way. Yeah, it causes a lot of feedback, and nobody can really understand what you're saying. So I'm I'm not okay with double cupping. I have no idea what you just said. Didn't understand a word of it. What was going on there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, double cupping, Christopher Gilbert. What is it? Are you, are you okay um, with it or double, are you not okay with it? Yeah. Uh, double cupping is uh, originated in New Zealand. It's uh, oh. where you uh, have your hot black coffee uh, in a cup, which is inside another cup. But then you double up on that. So you have four coffee cups four. because just to make sure that you, you, don't, burn, you don't burn your hands. So, don't um, burn your emu. I, double cup my, I, I actually double cup my double cups. So uh, it's yeah, double cup of cupping. So, yeah, okay, I, double, I'm in favor yeah. of it. Are you okay with double-double cupping? Jason Manalis, yay or nay? Yeah, um, no, no, because every time I get it here, it burns my hand. And may, maybe that's just because I have, sens I have sensitive hands, but, yeah, it hurts, man. I don't know. I, every, I prefer the sleeve, personally. All right, there it is. Tim Hortons is ending the practice of double-cupping for hot drinks. Now, this isn't the first time they've had some controversy with their disposable cups. Their lids, for example, were a big part of a new global news report back in 2013 and more since then. Let's get the clip. It's a morning routine for millions. Hey uh, can I get a large coffee with one cream and one sugar, please? That's everything. The wait for that caffeine fix, the anticipation for that first sip of Timmy's. Time to cue the entire experience after the hot coffee hits the cup holder. This is where it begins, right here. It starts with the delicate craft of opening the lid. It's just a thin strip of plastic between you and disaster. Brian Hansen wrote a letter about his annoyance with the leaky lids, sending it direct to Tim Horton's executive. The complaint was posted online and has gone viral. Well, there's two ways that you can send a complaint. You can be that guy or you can add a little humor into it, maybe make somebody's day when they read it, and get a response. And it's clear he's found the comedy in the controversy. I've got a stained shirt, I've got a burnt hand, and um, lucky I didn't cut my lip on that sweet pump. This is all before 8 a.m. Tim's officials have responded, appreciating the passion from Hansen, saying many guests actually prefer their lids over other designs, and suggest if he prefers an alternative to the flat lids, to request a dome lid that was introduced with the launch of the espresso beverages. You shouldn't have to specify whether you want the Fight Club lid or you want to have a nice morning. It should just come with the lid. That's 
going to make sure you don't show up to work looking like you've been rolled in an alley. And the opinions are just as personal as the way people take their coffee. You get hooked on Tim's, you get hooked on Tim's. No bad lid is going to turn you off that no, coffee. not a bit. If you make the lids more expensive, you're going to have to pay more for the coffee. So you say leave the lids as is? Yeah, they're disposable cups. I kind of wish that they went to a more, I don't know, same as everyone else. And that's the hope. The design engineers at Canada's Java Giant will consider an alteration to the coffee cover. We can have change. We can have new lids. First world problem. Until they do, Jill Crotel, Global News. All right, so that was 2013 that that story came from about those old lids. So here's what happened. This guy's funny story in saying, hey, I mean, he's right. It really was like a sharp, a spilly lid and everything else. So his funny story led Tim's to come up with a new version of the dome cup, which was nice, with 30% more plastic in it. So thanks to his funny story, he killed the planet. Just saying. Oh, geez. Oh. Right, just to save his T-shirt oh. so he could go to a meeting with his vanity in check. Um, but isn't it funny to hear like people are like, it's a disposable cup. It's fine. Throw it away. <laughs> like, wow, things have changed in seven years. <laughs> yeah. Who um, cares? Who cares? It's fine. <laughs> so now just think seven years later, they're still now pushing sleeves, no more double cups. And, um, and that is a thing that we did. We're going to look back on this saying, uh, you know, environmental responsibility and all this stuff. Oh man, can you believe there was a time where we used to complain about the lids so they gave us bigger lids with more plastic and we still took it in two cups just so we didn't uh, have to burn our fingers and then we threw all of the cups and all of the plastic how long did you use it for hmm, 12 minutes uh, what was that guy's name that the guy that complained and ruined everything mm. tim kiven i want to call him kiven it hey kiven like karen actually Karen. <laughs> yeah, just call him Karen. <laughs> anyway, to that guy, good job. Thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing, you know. <laughs> Thank you for that. For seven years of more plastic, mate. <laughs> None. Oh, All right. Uh, so Christopher Gilbert uh, is our guest here on Are You Okay? Uh, let's get one more. Are you okay? Are you okay with a man winning the lottery? I mean, it's always somebody else besides me. Um, I'm always, I always tend to be happy for people that win, you know, a million dollars or even like 10 bucks. Do you though? My oh, friend Rob says nobody I actually s- ever wins. He thinks it's a conspiracy theory. Well, I say I do, oh. but uh, jealous. Wait, what's, what's the conspiracy theory? Well, he said he's never met anybody and nobody's ever met anybody that's won a million dollars in the lottery. It's just like actors. That's a good point. Where are right. all these people? Who are they? They're just hired actors. Just throw it out there. We get accused of fake news. We'll just create our own here. All right, here's the story. Um, I didn't even ask you. Are you okay with them? Of course we're okay with somebody winning the lottery. Okay. Uh, an Alberta man who won $5 million Lotto 649 last month had to share the prize. Because you know when they're like, you're like, seven, 12, they go through the numbers and you're like, we win five, five million dollars. And then they announced it like there was two winning tickets. You're like, crap, it's only two and a half million dollars, but I'm supposed to be grateful, but I'm kind of pissed. Well, turns out the guy who had the other ticket was the same guy. 
he bought two tickets and he won twice in one drawing. So he won two and a half million dollars twice of the five million dollar jackpot. He gets all of it and you get a lottery winning and you get a lottery winning. Hmm. I'm not okay with that. Hey, man, he bought the tickets. He's just an actor anyway. Okay, but like, you know, when you walk past the lottery posters of the people who have won, and it's always some guy with like frizzy hair and a mustache, and he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, he he doesn't look, he honestly doesn't look happy enough holding a $5 million check. And you walk past these posters, and they always have like content little smiles on their faces, and it's like, you just won 5 million bucks. Nobody likes you. Any, you know, nobody who walks past this poster is happy. Right. Give know, the everyone finger. hates you right now. Flip yeah. the bird in the photo and give the finger with your $10 million yes. check, right? Exactly. Say, Have some attitude. Right. Yeah. And to, exactly. to go and do that twice is just, I think, you know, a bit rude. All right. So just to show you how hard it is to win one lotto uh, one time, this is the States, but it's kind of cool. An Arizona mathematician has the odds that are never in your favor when you buy your ticket because it's a conspiracy theory, Rob says. So what are the real chances of winning? Not very good. <laughs> Boy, but, thanks. Yeah. Have a great day, everybody. Yeah. Well, let me try to describe Absolutely, for you. Absolutely, please, please. So imagine you were to fill out one of the forms yeah, representing each of the possible six number combinations that you could choose. Okay. And then you took those forms and you stacked them up. Yeah. There's over almost 259 million of these forms you'd have to oh have. Oh, my gosh. So that stack would be about 12 miles tall. 12 That's two, miles? two Mount Everest tall. Oh. So now imagine that, that stack, <laughs> and you're going to just blindly reach in and grab one of the cards. That's the chances of you winning if your card gets picked of that 12-mile stack. And my producer's telling me something about laying them side by yeah, side. Yes, now take those same forms and, yeah. and tile them on the ground, right. all 250, almost 259 million of oh, them. Oh, i got to get out of the way yeah. again. So it would cover an area of almost two square miles, <laughs> oh my and then wow. again, blindly reach in and grab one of those forms. That's the chances that you're going to win. Okay, what are the chances of, uh, of one of us winning if we buy a ticket versus not purchasing a ticket? Well, I like to say your chances of winning are the same whether you buy a ticket or not. Because if you don't buy a ticket, your chances are zero. You're not going to win. Yeah. Sure. You don't, can't win if you don't play. That's exactly But right. if you buy one ticket, your chances of winning are point zero 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 three eight six. That's a lot of zeros. So still just about zero. I don't even know. How, how many zeros did you just say? I said eight zeros. Eight zeros. Wow. Three, eight, six. That's really staggering. How, your likelihood of winning if you buy one is about the same as if you don't. That's cool. Now, those are American numbers. There's a lot bigger lotto, right? So, I mean, it is what it is. Are you okay? Special guest, Chris or Christopher Gilbert. Um, Chris, when you settle into Japan, I want to formally mm. invite you to join us anytime. Yes. Um, we can learn more about uh, Potato Chip Gilbert. We're going to want to meet yes. that little rascal. Um, I think the audience wants to learn more about you. Plus, as you create uh, your uh, your stinky fish stories or whatever is next, we would like yeah. to share them. So, will you join us, brother? Oh, I love I love being on the shift. And just very quickly, if anyone wants to join me in Japan, a Canadian just got to Japan on a tourist visa. He sailed there for fourteen days. Wow. So if that the rule is that you can you, you can't come if you've been in any COVID country for in the last 14 days. But if you're in a boat in the ocean, you can come visit me whenever you want, guys. There it to is. Sail on over. That's and wonderful. Yeah, I, of course, I, I'm very um, humbled and honored, and of course, we'll take you up on your very generous offer. And yeah, keen to hang out with you guys anytime, all the time, every day. 
All right, before we let you go, I'll tell you that I love you very much. And your impact of the things you created on the show continue on the show today, and they will for uh, a long time. Uh, Thank I'm, you, Chris. I'm, I'm blushing. I'm blushing on, my, on the Zoom call, so I'm going to hide my face. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.